This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. But I am not in the workplace. I am in the West Coast uh, office of the Wharton School on our campus here in San Francisco, and Dan is in the East Coast uh, office, East Coast studio. So we are bi-coastal today. Yes. Yes. And I should just alert uh, listeners, because a little distracting here, Dan and I are, of course, linked by sound, but we're also linked by images, and there is a three-foot image of Dan's head on the screen right in front of me. You are so Which lucky. is very, very, very <laughs> impressive. You got a little version of me, huh? Dan's licking, yes. licking the camera right you're, now. You're on my iPad. Yeah, tiny image of me, giant image of Dan's head here. And so we're doing a little bi-coastal thing here uh, because Wharton has a campus in San Francisco. I'm out here teaching MBA students and our executive MBAs. And one of the topics that we are talking about, believe it or not, for MBA Students, this is recruiting season. Uh, I guess it's always recruiting season for these folks. But they're thinking about companies that they might want to join and job offers are floating around, all that kind of stuff. So we're in the conversation about where people should work and how they fit into a place, right? Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But, Dan, do you remember those uh, days? You've recently switched uh, switched companies, yes. employers. And right? I also remember my youthful in-school days being recruited, wine and dine like I was so important, even though I wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that any of that changed? The wining and dining? Uh, <laughs> the importance? <laughs> yeah, you don't have time. <laughs> You're my age. You don't have time for that. Yeah, it's just <laughs> much more right. business-like. It's like our conversation last week about mandatory fun. Uh, once you get a little older, having uh, office parties is not so much fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the conversation about whether you fit into a organization or not is a really interesting one, an important one. And it's a pleasure to have Bill Taylor with us. Bill is the founding uh, well, the founding editor and co-founder of the magazine Fast Company, and since then he's written a bunch of leadership books. And we want to talk to him about an article that he has written about finding your place in the right kind of workplace. Bill, welcome. Hey, great to be here, Peter and Dan. Uh, thank you, Bill. Where are you physically right now? Are you in Boston? I'm physically in uh, Boston, where I uh, live and work. Sadly, oh, I don't okay. have a video link uh, with you too, so I can still do the old I have <laughs> yeah, a just radio as, joke. But uh, yeah, we get just as good. <laughs> it's just as just as well you don't have a video link of us. <laughs> We're not that attractive. <laughs> Bill, let me ask you a question about your own experience because um, you started some companies. You obviously sure. moved through several companies as well. If you looked within an industry at companies that are roughly the same size, do they really seem all that different to you? And on, on what? dimensions do you think the big differences were? That's, that's a good question in the following sense. You know, we started Fast Company 20 years ago, and, and really for the last 20 years, I've been constantly traveling around visiting organizations of all shapes and sizes. And one of the reasons I wrote the piece is because it finally dawned on me that I can go into lots of companies, uh, many of which are just tremendously successful in the marketplace. And yet two things struck me, even companies within the same industry, which is 
from the point of view of how they feel inside the organization, they could feel completely, completely different. Like I was really? on mm-hmm. utterly different planets, even though yeah. both companies, let's say, were winning big and they might have had very different strategies, but they were re- winning really big in the marketplace, creating lots of economic value. But mm-hmm. internally, in terms of how they were organized, how people behaved, the culture, they felt completely different. So first thing that struck me, it's kind of obvious in retrospect, is th- there is always more than one way to be in a business. There's no, like, one right way to be a great company. There's no yep. one perfect mm-hmm. culture for any mm-hmm. industry. There are lots of variations on on themes, but point A. Point B is, and this sounds a little strange, but some of the companies that I found the most inspiring the most, you know, as an observer, the most kind of passionate and meaningful were companies that I couldn't possibly imagine me working at. I mean, I, really? I looked what was going on, and I respected mm-hmm. it, and I was just so wildly impressed by it. Yet, not in my wildest dreams could I imagine wanting to be part of it. It's just because, you know, who I who I am and what me, makes me tick isn't what was making these great companies tick. And so it, it kind of mm. struck me that... As folks try to think about where can I do my best work, where can I be at my most creative and my highest energy, where can I wake up on Monday morning and really say, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing my colleagues when I go to work as opposed to sort of saying, oh, my gosh, I've got to face those, those folks again or what have you. It really yeah. does become a question of, and, you know, everybody talks about the fit and everything, but the, the issue of fit is do you have a sense of the – economic value proposition and the human kind of value system that makes an organization tick and work in the marketplace mm-hmm. and are you clear that in terms of what makes you tick as a person and those two things go well together mm-hmm. so you can be an amazing person and just not fit at all in an, yeah. an amazing company doesn't make doesn't make you any less amazing doesn't make the company any less amazing it's just that the two of you don't go together so that sense mm-hmm. of clarity about is what is what is driving me the same general sensibilities as driving the company is I think a an under underappreciated part of how you can do your best work as a person. Mm-hmm. I, let me back up just a second and ask you something uh, about these differences because and maybe you you see it differently. Maybe it's different in smaller companies, but I'm always really surprised by the extent to which companies are interested in copying each other. So. You know, they may have these differences, but it's almost like they want to stomp them out, you know, uh, that they're trying to figure out the best practices and what is this. They want to meet and find out what everybody else is doing so yeah. they can kind of fit in. Do you think that's that's a, only a big company phenomenon? Do you see that in small companies, too? I, I don't know if it's only a big company phenomenon. It's probably largely a big company phenomenon. I think what it is is, is in, I mean, no disrespect to any company, it's kind of a mediocre company phenomenon. What I, I'm all I'm all in favor of learning. I'm all in favor of benchmarking. I'm all in favor of kind of business tourism, if you will, visiting organiz- other organizations, finding out what works there, and so on. But what I have found, this is true of strategy, it's true of business models, but it's most true of culture. Is the organizations that are really compelling, really creating environments where people are thriving are the organizations that are basically inventing this stuff themselves. Mm -hmm. You can't copy your way to greatness. You can't Mm -hmm. look at, you know, here are the the three best companies in my industry are doing things, so I'll do things just like them. First of all, it's not Mm -hmm. very authentic. Secondly, it's not very, by definition, not very original. It's hard hard to kind of copycat your way to, to being competitive. So what strikes me about 
the companies I've gotten to know that I've written about with really and, and by culture, I don't mean you know casual dress or foosball tables or or I was just at an amazing uh, advertising agency in Louisville. They've got a you know a slide that connects the first floor. I almost broke my hip trying to be a good sport and go down it kind of deal. I don't really mean that. I mean, what does it mean to be a member of this organization? What are the kinds of commitments mm-hmm. we're making to one another about how we behave, how we share information, how we solve problems? The real essence of the peer to peer fabric in the organization mm-hmm. you got to kind of invent that yourself i think and you've got to invent the language to describe that and you've got to invent the rituals to reinforce that and that's to me what culture is all about mm-hmm. let me ask dan uh, a question on on this about uh, dan your own experience moving across law firms did they yeah. feel quite different and what do you think the big uh, aspects were that you'd say ah this place is really different we'll get a into this in just a second, too. What, 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 were they different? And if so, what do you notice it's different about? Well, big law firms can differ in the, the level of civility and the level of uh, called collaboration within the firm. Hmm. You know, some firms are inherently collaborative and they've got the compensation system set up that way. Other firms are sort of kill what you eat and uh, make sure you eat kill a you lot kill. if you want to eat. You know what I mean? Eat what you kill. Yeah. yeah, eat what you kill. Yeah. Okay, so those are those are kind <laughs> or, of or, or, or kill what you eat if you get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, you don't want lawyers eating you. <laughs> it's a bad thing. Uh, Bill, what do you if if you're in these or if you're traveling around these organizations? Let's put yourself in the shoes of our MBA students who are uh, leaving and and uh, looking for jobs, and they're kicking tires. How can you tell what these places? Are really like because honestly we know you know lots of people lots of companies say they are one way yep. and then it turns out they're not right yep. so what do you look for to, to find out whether um, they're telling the truth and what they're really like sure well so I do think it starts with how do these organizations explain themselves and you're right everybody's got you know value statements that are kind of airy fairy and so on but what I have found is that companies that have really original and kind of deeply felt cu- uh, cultures actually do ha- have developed a kind of a language system. I, I think of it as a vocabulary of competition that explains both to the people within the company and then to folks outside the company how people are expected to behave, how they're expected to work, what the company stands for. A quick example, Quicken Loans in um, Detroit, Michigan, the online Mortgage lender, lots of MBAs work there. You know, really great brand, growth company. They've developed 19 what they call isms, aphorisms, slogans, sayings that are meant to capture uh-huh. the yeah. nature of life inside the company. And they're not the, you know, respect for the company, the customer. It's numbers and money follow, they don't lead. Simplicity okay. is genius. Innovation is uh, admired. Execution is worshipped. And they, and there are yep. 19 of these things, and they have books, and they have bracelets, and they have every six weeks a full eight-hour day for all new employees to come. And the founder, Dan Gilbert, and the CEO, Bill Emerson, literally just the two of them spend eight hours drilling everybody, and these are the 19-isms, these are how we develop them, this is why it matters, and that sort of thing. And so I, I really do think you have to start with how the company is explaining what it's all about. And if the language seems generic and flat and plain vanilla, well, that's probably a sense that they really haven't thought all that much uh, about it. The second thing I would then do, if that's kind of a top-down, is 
to go really try to go really deep in the ranks and get a sense for the health and strength of the peer-to-peer bond. I mean, what I have found, you know, the old cliche, culture is what happens when people aren't looking. Well, yeah. it really it's a cliche for a reason. It, it's kind of true. And, and so what I have found is you learn the most about what's really going on in an organization when you can get, oh, you know, after you, okay, here's the official way we explain ourselves, but then go deep yeah. in the bowels and try to get a sense for here's how a project team runs. Here's what mm-hmm. is considered heroic behavior and, and great sort of war stories of what it means to be part of this place, the, the kind mm-hmm. of mythology or storytelling that people do to to one another. And you might hear it, and you might say, that's great, it's a place I, w- I want to be, or you might say, well, okay, I get that, but that's not who I am, so I don't want to, you know, just, there, there could be companies with really great, strong cultures that just aren't right for for you. It doesn't make them yep. a bad company, doesn't make yep. you a bad person. It really is all about what makes the most sense to you. Mm-hmm. Folks, we're talking with Bill Taylor, who is the co-founder of Fast Company and its founding editor about a piece he's written about workplaces, four kinds of workplaces. How do you know which is best for you? Bill, let me paraphrase, see if I've, I got this right, that if you want to see whether a company has got a distinctive culture, if they're not talking about it, if they're not manifesting it seriously, they probably don't. Correct. Yeah. So, so they ought to be taking it seriously. Yeah. Okay. Bill, Dan, in terms of the the inquiry an applicant, especially a finalist, would have into corporate culture, let me throw out this idea. See if you guys agree or disagree. Uh, asking the company about its corporate culture, yeah, that's nice, but they're going to tell you what they want you to hear. Looking at Glassdoor and the likes. I got concerned about reliance upon that because there's an adverse selection. You're going to have disproportionately disaffected people Mm -hmm. uh, posting on there. If you talk to former employees who haven't posted on Glassdoor, to your knowledge, but former employees, they'll often speak to you very candidly. Now, you can you can you may know former employees, but I've gotten a lot of calls over the years from someone who says, listen, I'm thinking of accepting a job at a place you used to work. And I called my friend so-and-so about whether she knew anyone who would work there. She gave me your number. Do you mind talking to me? And I'll mm-hmm. talk to him. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and, yeah. and with LinkedIn, there might be ways to make progress on that ground because it was where you go to work if you got options is this a pretty big decision. Mm-hmm. And our compatibility with culture is also pretty big. So yep. in terms of a, a about-to-be-graduate from the MBA program or anybody switching jobs, that's not a bad way to go about it. Can I add one thing? I think that's great. Can I add one thing, which is you also should evaluate the process by which you're being recruited, Mm -hmm. uh, interviewed, and evaluated. What I have found is that the companies with the strongest and most distinctive cultures tend to have the most original systems and processes and techniques for Mm -hmm. finding people, uh, evaluating them, and uh, recruiting them. I mean, you know, so much of HR is kind of, and again, I don't, no disrespect to the HR field, but it's, it could be pretty cookie cutter and people are looking for their applicants in the same pools and they're, uh, you know, evaluating them in the same way. But again, you know, I won't dwell on Quicken Loans, but they've got a, just a tremendously distinctive series of exercises and reviews they go through to try to find out what makes you Tick. If you go to a service company like Southwest Airlines, their approach to where they find people and how they evaluate them completely yeah. different from the the legacy airlines, and and on and on it goes. And it's not you know 
go into Microsoft and they ask you how many gas stations are there in the United States, yeah. or you go to Google and you got to explain why manhole covers are around, the kind of twick, trick question thing. But, you know, are these people, do you feel like the process you're going through from their end feels, well, they're putting a lot of yeah. thought into this, they're really trying to figure out what makes me tick there. I'm being interviewed not just by an HR person or my prospective boss, but a team of my colleagues, kind of peer-to-peer evaluations, whatever the case may be. But another way to do it, I, I agree with going to, to, to former former employees and so on, but another way to do it is thinking hard about the process you yourself are experiencing and how much thought has that company put into figuring out what makes me tick. Yeah, it certainly sounds right. And I think here's one reason why. We know that culture is also driven by the kind of people that you hire. And if they're not taking hiring seriously, they're probably not taking their culture very seriously. All right, let's jump into um, some of what Bill was doing in this article. You were identifying four kinds of workplaces. So in your experience, it looked like you could see that there were distinctions among these. And let's talk about the first one is company as community. Yes. Um, and community first, company second is yep. what some of these folks say. What does that mean, and, and how would you see it as opposed to just rhetoric? Because, frankly, a lot of people say things like this about their company. Well, so, like, um, we're all a family, that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, there have been – this is maybe the – I guess a lot of people – say it in terms of me visiting companies and really feeling this has come to life it's a pretty rare breed but when i see it what strikes me about it is just the sheer intensity of the culture and the sense that individuals have invested themselves so deeply in the organization that they are willing to to some degree uh sacrifice a bit of themselves for the the feeling of comradeship and 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 colleagueship, where I saw this most clearly in in one of the books I recently wrote is that a uh, a, a diabetes healthcare company called Davida, huge company, seventy thousand people or what have you, but it is entirely built around this notion of we're a, a community first and a company mm-hmm. second, and you know just incredible uh, rituals and language and 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 town hall meetings and it's hard to to go into the depth and the color of it all um, in a brief period of time but my goodness it is so wildly over the top so theatrical if you will I've been to their one of their national employee meetings against you know 15 or 20,000 people at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville and they're all singing the company song and doing these call and response kind of cheers and this is where it's hard to do anywhere I mean you know incredibly successful in the marketplace the level of care and quality they provide is really tremendous but I looked at it and I felt like I felt like a brother from another planet there's no way I would be willing to put my own personality kind of on the shelf if you will to buy into this intense a a collegial bonding but for the folks who were there they absolutely um, love it and and so you know part of a really great culture is it's by definition not for everybody yeah and if right. you're doing something really special and something that's very meaningful to some people it's going to be not so meaningful or even maybe a little freaky uh to others and so yeah i, I feel like you can feel it you can sense it it's just the level of energy and, and emotional authenticity and so on again a lot of and all this stuff a lot of companies put the posters on the wall and go through the motions but 
Yeah. You're there for, for, for eight hours, you're going to realize it's, it's mainly phony baloney stuff. So a company's community means that this is the kind of place where they really care about the employees. Some people would say places like this feel like cults if they're being sarcastic, right? It's that kind of a view? That... They do. And, of course, you know, you go back to, to Jim Collins and Built to Last and all that kind of stuff. He talks about cult-like cultures. I mean, it, you know, cult's a dirty word and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But, it, you know, the, the, maybe the better way to phrase it, that Texas A&M in the world of high, higher education is a very – distinctive uh, culture, and the slogan there is, uh, if you're on the inside, you can't explain it. If you're on the outside, you can't understand it. I think that's actually a pretty good way of describing a place like DaVita and some of these other companies as communities I've met where it's just something very, very different, very distinctive going on. Let me ask you about a, a couple of the other ones. you got four here. Let me just tell uh, listeners what they are. And by the way, we're talking with Bill Taylor, who's the Co-founder of Fast Company, founding editors, written a series of leadership books, and this is an article about the different types of workplaces for workplaces in the Harvard Business Review. So one is a constellation of stars. Uh, third one is not just a company, a cause. Fourth one is small, is beautiful. Right, so we just, just talked. Yeah, we're just talking about law firms, and to me, a constellation of stars is is kind of about as dramatically opposite from the companies, communities you can get. And yeah. this is to me, yeah. you know, kind of a lot of a lot of firms on. On Wall Street, a lot of lot of law firms, you know, to some degree, folks in Silicon Valley, which is the ethos is that of individual excellence, and I want right. to be part of an organization, not so much because I live and breathe the organization, but because I believe at this moment in time, it creates the conditions for me to do my, you know, most exceptional um, individual work. And these are also yeah. organizations that prize sheer talent over, mm-hmm. and I don't want to overdo it, but they prize sheer individual talent over a greater sense of collegiality and teamwork. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, the you know, you're, you're out in the in the valley with Wharton West Coast, the, you know, the, the sort of this notion in the valley that one great computer programmer is worth a thousand average computer programmers, and so you'll yeah. put up with a lot of gibberish and a lot of background noise to get one of these truly good now we see where that you can see where that leads us in terms of the corruption of culture and a lot of a lot of bad stuff but it it is the you know it is the notion of the cult of the superstar i want to be a superstar i want to be in a place that's going to let me be a superstar these organizations recruit for superstars and Mm -hmm. again there are lots of you know if you're want to be the Michael Jordan of finance or the Michael Jordan of programming, well, you got to go be Michael Jordan. And so um, it's I'm not passing a value judgment on it, although it may sound like I am. I'm really not. But you got to be clear if, if that's the kind of environment you want to be in. So those two well, are kind of the polar opposites. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds right. Uh, and in certain kinds of work suit themselves to this. You know, you're not going to, I don't think, see a constellation of stars in an auto company, right? Some place right. that's... Yeah really requires a lot of coordination. What do you think it's like to work as a support person in a company that's kind of the star model, right? So you've got uh, investment banks, let's say, and you've got a bunch of traders, and they're driving the success of the of the place. But then you've got a bunch of stuff who are doing, people doing regular running the business. Um, d- does it rub off on, on them? I mean, it, being in a company that is kind of driven by stars, they got this sort of stated culture, but you're not in one of those jobs. Is it going to just be irritating because you can't be a star as, you know, one of the administrators in the back of the company? Sure, yeah. Dan may have a take on this for the world of law. I would certainly think it would be 
irritating. And, and I, you see this in lots of organizations, and you know, to some degree, you see it in higher education. To be honest, where the the professor is exalted above all else, and really, I'm, I'm missing, I'm like, missing that. They have tenure, so I mean, they act badly. You need to feel like a second-class <laughs> citizen, and, and again, yeah. so even if you're, you know, to me, it's it's funny. People, a lot of people, a lot of MBA students tend to uh, worship, or at least be very impressed by. The, the the name on the letterhead, the, the the logo, the global brand, and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, what, once you you're not really working every day for this iconic brand just because you're sending out memos and letters. If we still do that with the letterhead of a company that everybody oohs and ahs about, ultimately your life is just sort of what does it feel like on a day to day business to yep. be working mm-hmm. side by side with these folks, rubbing shoulders, spending fifty or sixty hours a week with these. Folks, it strikes me that in a in a constellation of stars, if you're not one of the stars, I'm not sure life is all that all that great. And so, you either kind of get your satisfaction, you know what you're signing up for, or you get your satisfaction elsewhere, or you say, hey, maybe even though it may not may not sound as impressive as at a cocktail party, may not look as good for 30 seconds on my resume, maybe there's a place where I can have a slightly loftier role in the organization, feel better about how my contributions are being valued. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill, we're running a little short of time. I wanted to make sure we got to something else, just to recap this story. Uh, This is a a story about four different kinds of workplaces, very different organization models and cultures, and do you fit? And uh, in this article, you got a little test people can take to see how they fit in. But I wanted to ask you just something about more generally now about Uh, your experience post-fast company, uh, you folks sort of caught a wave there, uh, the rise of Silicon Valley and a lot of the dot-com companies. Do you think, looking back on it, that uh, that was a big sea change in American business and that we are um, forever changed as a result of that? Or do you think we've been drifting back toward other models or older models or a different direction? I, I really do believe, and maybe it's just a story I tell myself, but I really do believe there was a line of demarcation. Um, and I can even maybe put the date, August 7th, 1995, the day Netscape went public. And I kind of, you know, here I'm in Boston near Lexington and Concord. I kind of think that was the shot heard around the world in terms of the creation of the so-called new economy. And I really don't think it has much to do with technology and and even startups and stuff. I think what that era ushered in, and then, of course, it all imploded because people got full of their own, uh, you know, chemtrails and so on, and we maybe are going through it again. But what it ushered in is an era of people going back to basics and asking really fundamental questions. What kind of company do I want to be a part of? I want to be successful. What does it mean to be a success in this day and age. I'm a bright young person. I want to have a, a big impact. Does that mean, mean mean that I need to be a kind of one faceless drone in a, in a global army of 300,000 people who work for a giant company? Or are we now in a world, which I think we are, where smaller and smaller groups of people can do bigger and bigger things? I, I no longer want to distinguish between who I am at work and who I get to be back home with my kids or in my community or at my church. I want to be more of the whole person all the time. And I think what was remained so powerful in the last 25 years or so is we are now in an era where people feel free to ask the kinds of questions that 
maybe if you wanted to be successful, if you wanted to be part of something big, you didn't have the freedom to ask before that. And so, look, there's a lot of bad, bad behavior that goes on in the name of Internet culture and startups. Uh, it's America, so we take every good idea to excess. I'm sure most of these you know, unicorn companies are going to be coming crashing down to earth in no time. But I think the the big picture that folks, you know, MBAs in particular, you know, alive now and going off into the workforce are really lucky to be doing this in a period where each one of us gets to really ask some pretty fundamental questions about the kind of work we want to do, the kind of organization we want to be part of, the kind of leader we want to be, the kind of impact we want to have that our parents and grandparents never really had a, ch- mm-hmm. a chance to ask. And that, I think, is the what's really mm-hmm. new and, and still full of promise about the world we live in, even when, you know, on most days a lot of the headlines aren't so aren't so promising. Yeah, that's true. We want to give ch- people a chance to take the quiz uh, that you've got to figure out your own culture and how you might fit into different companies. The website is William C. Taylor, as you'd expect it to be spelled, dot com. And on there you look for workplace quiz and you ought to be able to find it. Bill, thanks very much for being with us. Bill My was great the, pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed yeah. it. Thank you. Founding editor of Fast uh, Company. We're going to take a fast break now. We'll be right back with you. We're going to talk about sexual harassment, right? Yes. There we are. Okay, we'll be right back with you in just a minute. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 